I'm Darcy. Hey everybody, welcome to Scarecrow Radio. I'm Ben. On today's show we have an interview with filmmaker Stephen Kayak, known mostly for his documentaries about various musicians including Scott Walker, the Rolling Stones, and the Backstreet Boys. Stephen is here to discuss many of these as well as his most recent film and first narrative feature, Shoplifters of the World. Plus, Matt gives us a rundown of one of his favorite films, Blonde Death. But first, Stephen Kayak. Uh, my name is Stephen Kayak, um, and I make primarily documentaries uh, with a uh, a focus mainly on music and musicians. Uh, although that has started to expand, I've started to kind of expand the palette a little bit. But I did really kind of hit a groove uh, with the music films, and that really kind of became my pocket, which was, has been a lot of fun. Uh, you know, stuff from my passion project that I did uh, with David Bowie about uh, my hero, our hero, Scott Walker, um, all the way through to like Judy Garland and the Backstreet Boys with, you know, Japanese metal and the Rolling Stones in the middle. I mean, it's just, it's been an absolutely bonkers journey. You know, I never would have picked some of these subjects. Um <laughs> But that's kind of been part of the fun and the challenge of it all, um, to find story pretty much wherever you can find it. So, mm-hmm. um, How did you originally get into documentary filmmaking, specifically with a focus in music? Well, docs kind of were a total accident. Um, I thought I was going to be El Motivar or Adam Agoyan, you know, when I came out of college, um, I really wanted to be this like art filmmaker. Um, I, my first film was a, a, something I wrote and directed uh, way back when uh, with a bunch of friends in Boston uh, that just sort of flatlined. And so I kind of moved to New York because I owed too many people in Boston money and um, <laughs> then just tried to kickstart a new film. And while writing uh, and chasing that ridiculous dream uh, I just ended up meeting a subject meeting somebody who you just thought you couldn't invent this person this was Jack Angstreich who became the center of Cinemania Um, and along the way met a German filmmaker who was also kind of following Jack and his little cult of Cinemaniacs around New York he's Jack was, you know, the obsessive film buff at the heart mm-hmm. of that first documentary I did, uh, who, who pulled me and Angela, my co-director on Cinemania, pulled us into this just bizarre underworld of extreme cinephilia, which just seemed like it needed to be a film. So, so that in a way, it was like a subject and a world uh, opened up to us that you kind of couldn't deny. So uh, we made a film about them. Mm-hmm. And and then just I haven't stopped making docs since um, that became a real like, you know, it was made for no money. As you can see, uh, it's kind of funny. We shot it on like mini DV <laughs> in 2000 over the course of like 99 into 2000. Uh, and, you know, there are 35 millimeter prints of it that you can see. You know, it's like <laughs> mini DV on 35 is so weird looking. Um <laughs> but it's kind of beautiful. Um, and uh, yeah, that just became a bit of a festival juggernaut, you know, it's a film about people who are obsessed with films. So, you know, we were the poverty jet set. We'd go anywhere to show that movie and it mm-hmm. showed all over the place. Um, 
so it was great. And then, you know, what to do next? Um, Angela, I think at that point, went back to Germany or stayed in, we, we edited the film in Berlin. I mean, the whole thing was just like a dream come true um, on a shoestring. Uh, and, and then just, you know, what I wanted to do something that was more close to my heart. And I had been obsessed with Scott Walker's music um, since the CDs kind of started getting issued in the 90s, his solo music um, from the 60s. And um, yeah, heard this, the great recluse who makes an album every decade was about to embark on a new album and thought at his age, this might be the last chance to do something like this. And so I just relentlessly pursued him. And that was like about a six to eight year kind of, oh you know, gosh. passion project of just doing everything. Me and my producer, Mia Bays, just everything ourselves, you know, talking about it nonstop to anybody who would listen to a point where we eventually got someone who could introduce us to David Bowie, you know what I mean? Who became our executive producer. Mm -hmm. And then, and then years later, we ended up, you know, finally finishing the film. So that was it, you know, in a nutshell, it took a long, 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 long time to kind of get established in that groove, but uh, it was pretty single-minded after a point. For um, some of the maybe newer, semi-newer ones, like Backstreet Boys, for instance, um, is that something that they seeked you out for? Also, I'm a big B BSB fan. I'm sorry. I'm not no, sure if that's one of the ones apologize. you wouldn't have done. But yeah. It's one of my favorite movies. I mean, we had so much fun doing that film. Awesome. Um, where, where are you guys? Where are you guys right now? Seattle. You're in yeah. Seattle. Okay. Mm -hmm. Close to, I mean, Canada, like the Canadians mm -hmm. yeah. broke broke them before they got to the US. I was so there. shocked. I actually watched that like over a year ago before mm. I knew we were going to be interviewing you, obviously. <laughs> and so I, I learned a lot from that and I have a lot of BSB paraphernalia. So I should have known that, but yeah, yeah. super interesting. About that. No, I, 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 I love that film. I mean, it, it's, it was that thing where like, I think Pulse came at me a couple times um kind of you know they were big fan pulse films in london they were they were big fans of the scott walker film and would you know just blow smoke up my ass all the time saying oh it's like the gold standard of music docs and we want to work with you so bad we got to find something to do and i'm like all right you guys have done lcd sound system blur bjork you you know nick cave and you call me with what the you want me to do a backstreet boys movie it's like guys come on now please are you serious um hey those so other I, bands don't have cruises for them it's so. true no no that i came to realize how silly i was being um <laughs> i did turn it down a couple times but then mia uh bay long sorry being mia and i made scott walker together she had been working in the UK film industry for years, distribution, sales, production. I mean, she kind of was really well-versed in, in pretty much all aspects of the industry there. We teamed up to make Scott Walker. Uh, she had, at the time of Backstreet, was running Microwave, which was a low-budget production through like a training scheme of the BFI that helped you like uh, first time producer directors, uh, they would invest in them with a small, small amount. And there were all these really like low budget, I think like $100,000 first fee, like really cheap first features. 
Um, but it was a great training scheme. And a lot of people came through that who uh, are quite um, well known now. Um, and uh, yeah, so Pulse came to her going, you know, all the new up and coming producer director teams, we have so much going on, we need help. And she looked at their slate and she was like, oh, I'll help you, but you have to give me Backstreet. Like, yes. I want, she was like, I want to do that myself. I need to meet them. And they went, oh my God, you want to produce it? She was like, sure. And they said, well, if you can get Kayak to do it, you've got it. Because he's already said no to us twice. It's like, damn it. So she called me and I was like, oh, you're kidding. She's like, don't be a snob. Get on the phone with them. They have a story to tell. And it would be us working together again. And the team is like, you can get Ben to cut it, who cut Ben Stark, who cut uh, my Stones movie. She's like, it's like, we're getting the band back together. So who cares who we're making it about? Um, and, you know, I had a chat with the guys and it was, you realize it's like, all right, I, I, I totally hated them in the 90s. Yeah. Um, although, you know, of course, I want it that way is forever there in your brain. Um, but they had a story to tell and they were at a really great like nothing like nothing to lose point in their lives kevin was back um, i know he's the guru like, now <laughs> this is a great opportunity no we we just we had so much fun doing it because it was a little more loose and weird and we got to just put them on a bus and drive around and visit <laughs> their hometowns and it was a little corny and kind of cheesy yes. <laughs> But then just unexpected and kind of a lot, a lot of fun. And I don't know, I've, I've, I've been told like grown men, I mean, like they, we, we weep watching that movie. Like it really gets to people. Mm -hmm. um, there's a lot about home and family and betrayal. And, you know, we're playing with the big themes. Yeah. And you've got some big fuck off hits too. So I know. It, had, it, had, it had populist reach, um, yeah. but it had some great story in it too. So yeah know, it was fun it was fun I really love how it came out that's awesome um I watched um We Are X last night and that one I also felt was really emotional um I had actually never heard of X Japan until last night when I watched the documentary um and I am so like interested now and I've been thinking about them all morning um how did that one come about I, again like uh I had been doing uh, some films with passion pictures uh the the after scott walker um there was a bit of a lag and then i got called out of the blue by i mean you just out of the blue by victoria Pierman, who runs who works with mick jagger um just wondering what my availability was you know and you're like what the who's the <laughs> rolling stones are calling me okay um and it was to do the Exile on Main Street film. Mm -hmm. And the producer was John Batsek, a company called Passion Pictures uh, out of the UK, who had done Searching for Sugar Man and, you know, One Day in September, like hundreds of top docs, like they're one of the best. Um, so we hooked up and just had a great experience and made a short stack of films together. And so we would always just check in with each other. And just one day he was in LA and just like, want to make a film about a Japanese metal band, <laughs> you know, and just sure. Who are they? Let's Google image X Japan. Oh my God. You know, the first thing you see is the hair, yeah. the costumes, the makeup, like, what is this? Mm -hmm. um, and I just thought, well, whatever that is, I need to be a part of that. That's unbelievable. Um, yeah. And they had come to him. They were just like, who has an Oscar? Who can produce a film for us? 
you know i mean yoshi yoshiki the leader of the band is mm-hmm. like he's like michael jackson plus bono plus <laughs> yeah. jesus or something i mean he's so <laughs> weird and and wonderful and enigmatic and just an absolute next level kind of celebrity rock star I know. Mm-hmm. Uh, and um just wanted a film so you know there, i i just had never seen anything like it and the story when you dig under it, it's like two suicides, a cult. Uh, I mean, it's just, it's, it's metal opera, you mm-hmm. know, with yeah. like a, a cultural angle that's really surprising and just visual candy for days on end. I mean, we really went mental on that film. It's just no holes barred, you know, my mm-hmm. graphics team had free reign to do whatever they wanted. It was a lot of experimenting and, mm-hmm. But also, you know, just a great opportunity to do something really broad strokes, you know, big canvas, big emotions. And yeah. Really insane well, music. So. Like their music, though. Their music's similar yeah. to that, too. So it matches. Um, mm-hmm. I saw Yoshiki also composed it. Sounds like he came to you or a team to get it produced. So how much input did he have on um how the documentary ended up and your choices in it well you know it's interesting is he's such a control freak and as you see at the end of the film you learn like they're they're finishing what is meant to be the the first ex japan album in like 20 years right Mm -hmm. like as the film is winding down they're recording some finishing touches here's a new song blah 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 the film came out wow when was it 20 2016 2016 he still Mm -hmm. hasn't finished the record what still hasn't finished the record he's gone and made two more films about himself however (laughs) that's funny (laughs) and like a few lines of his fashion kimonos and probably like a new hello kitty collaboration but he still (laughs) hasn't finished the record he's notorious um for being a, a a total control freak so it was kind of a miracle that we were able to get in there and mm-hmm. wrestle this story away from him i just don't think because we didn't know who he was so we didn't have that deference of just like oh my god bow down to your yeah. we're just like we're gonna make a film dude sit mm-hmm. your ass down and we're gonna give you interview you know do interviews and just we had to just do it um and go through the motions with him and force them to you know be present and give us access and we just bullied our way through it and then I think our tactic was let's just see if we can't get it into Sundance mm-hmm. and then tell him we've gotten it into Sundance Yeah. before he sees it. You know what I mean? So we're mm-hmm. like, it's, this is it. And guess what? You know what I mean? Yeah. So you better like it and let us finish it. Um, so we sort of tricked him a little bit, um, <laughs> but he, yeah, he loved it. Um, he pretty much it, it's weird like a lot of these films have been you know uh, work for hire um mm-hmm. i've been very lucky to have this pick of some of these projects um but with a strong producing team uh we've been able to kind of get our way almost every single time there's always conversation and compromise and certain things but like at the end of the day i think all yoshiki wanted was like vfx on his face you know what i mean like oh i can see a shadow or there's a little wrinkle oh my god my makeup's running you know what i mean it was that was kind of all he cared about was how good he looked wow 
That's funny because I didn't realize he was like 50. Like when I was looking at it, I literally was like, his skin looks so perfect. And then looked it up later. It's like he was 49 or something when it was filmed. So that's so funny to hear that. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Makeup artist right outside of camera range every second in case he cried. Or or, or to make sure he cried, you know, so we could get it on camera. Then cover it up. That's so interesting. There's a lot of cosmetic attention. But so we were kind of able to just do stuff narratively and cinematically and like I think it's one of the ones that we were allowed to really layer in a lot of bizarre subtext and kind of Mm -hmm. just go a little loopy on it you know we found some phenomenal archive he just had been filming himself for decades in warehouses full of tapes that just kept showing up and it was just it was unbelievable what we had access to for that one that was a that was a real treat that film yeah was it um since it's such an emotional story did, was it kind of draining to do because I saw that you had a quote afterwards about like maybe I don't want to do music documentaries after this one well that one really blew us out of the way I mean it was just because it was just so epic it yeah was just it was. like where do you go from there I mean yeah. you know I, really it was just so operatic on such a grand scale and I feel like we just we were allowed a lot of resources um mm-hmm that you wouldn't normally have. Uh, so we really got spoiled. Um, no, it wasn't, emo- it was more just, um, yeah, I don't know. It was, it, it was, it was hard, but also incredibly free. Like we, we again, we just, we were, we were given free reign of like this incredible archive. Money did not seem to be an object and you never get that. Um, so yeah it it was just an awesome experience um I think back now I'm sure my producer would be like are you crazy that was a nightmare (laughs) yeah Um, exactly you know but I remember it fondly (laughs) from this vantage point um it was just like there are a lot of cooks in the kitchen um with that and but really yeah I don't know compared to some other stuff in retrospect it was it was a dream you know Mm -hmm. When you work on these for hire projects, how do you begin to find what story that you're going to tell? Is it usually the subject that's leading you in that? Like, how do you prepare for those documentaries? Well, it depends. Like some just come fully baked, you know, like Mm -hmm. Stones in Exile, tell the story of Exile on Main Street. Um, With X, it was, it was, it was like they, you know, they were about to play Madison Square Garden that very mm-hmm. Japanese thing of like, I'm going to rent Madison Square Garden so I can say I've played Madison Square yeah. Garden. <laughs> Who fucking does that, you know? Yeah. Um, so there was, you had that little making of a concert kind of thing and hopefully people show up. And um, and then it was just like, there's a beginning, middle and end. Like our story exists, here, here it all is. Um, mm-hmm. It was more about like, how do we tell it? How do we, you know? squeeze all that drama into a 90 something minute shape um yeah i mean sometimes you know you'll find it as you go i mean luckily i mean like leonard skinner there's a plane crash like you know exactly how that story is going to end so there's no mystery but it's just like how do you put it together to make it feel like someone is discovering this for the first time or create you know by starting it with the plane crash like you know what's going to happen everyone knows what's going to happen the key to that one was to get people emotionally to a place where they hoped it didn't happen yeah that you could it would actually maybe be a different ending even though you know exactly what's going to happen 
Um, so, you know, it just depends. Sometimes they come to you wanting you to tell them what the shape is or you give me your take on what the story is. Um, and we'll just come in with, you know, it really just depends. You know, a lot of it, I always tend to say I work from the artist out. You know, what are you about? What makes you tick? What's, what are the real, what are the markers of, on their musical DNA that can help me tell my story? You know, is it, do we go with like a visual language first and then go deep? Like that was kind of X. It was like their motto, like on their second album, I think they, you can see it on the album cover. And it became their, their like their, their catchphrase was psychedelic violent violence crime. Wait, was it? No, wait, hold on. It's so crazy. Um, something like um, psychedelic violent crimes of visual shock or something or other. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like that was like their theme in that like, mm -hmm. that like Japanese kind of English. So I was like, that's our theme. <laughs> Whatever the, the film has to be a psychedelic violent crime or whatever it is you know what <laughs> I mean like however we translate that into what we do that just is always going to be our our go-to um so and then it went down from there I mean with Backstreet it was it was more about just spending you know some time observing them um and just hitching our you know onto them just following around a bunch um and then kind of imposing that almost kind of reality TV, let's go back to our hometown yeah. structure, just to, and like, like, but it sounds fun because it'll end up in the hills of Kentucky at, in Kevin's camp. And like, that's a trip I want to take, you know? Um, so, you know, of course we have to go to goddamn Florida again. Every, every, <laughs> every film I'm in fucking can't Florida. Escape. <laughs> I can't escape it. It's horrible. Um, but then, you know, it, it ended up revealing a lot of stuff and it became better the, the deeper in we got and it's edited in a different shape. I think we started with Kevin, but like the production just got better as we went. We just got to know them more and every hometown trip, like they would see the guy before them opening up and finding things within themselves and crying and having all these emotional things. So then the next guy would get nervous and... <gasps> you know oh my mm -hmm. god am I gonna cry what's gonna happen to me and they just they started revealing more and more it just it was a great tool it was a great storytelling adventure um so yeah they all kind of find their own way eventually you know mm -hmm. is there any like musician living or dead that you would love to make a documentary about like if you had all the oh, money in the world all yeah. the money in the world well you know I feel like there could be like 99 documentaries about Prince. Yeah. Um, and I want to just kill people because I mean, like just give me one of them. You know, <laughs> yeah. I really feel like you could do a whole bunch. Um, and with an estate and an archive like that, I don't know why they don't just do that. Bowie's mm -hmm. the same way. It's like, there's been a couple like those five years and five years later films and they're fine. I just feel like we're missing a trick with him. Like there, there's just, there's some other, unless it's just, you know, with artists like that, there's so much and they are the authors of their story in such a way that they've already created the entire like vocabulary of mm -hmm. their own work visually and sonic. It's almost like, what could the point possibly be? Um, 
aside from the fact that it would just be great to dig in and see what's in there archive wise. Um, but aside from that, yeah, no, I don't know. Um, I have this sick fantasy about doing a film about Enya. Oh my God, please. Jesus. And her cats, please. <laughs> just because, I mean, you know, I saw the uh, Pitchfork had an article some, some while ago that just said, Enya is everywhere. And I just thought, it's a fantastic title yeah. for something. You know, um, what's back there? I have no idea, but it just, it sounds kind of nuts um, to even mm -hmm. consider. Uh, so yeah in a weird way, I would absolutely love to do that. <laughs> um, but, uh, you know, Susan the Banshees, no one would ever pay me to do that, but I'd love to. Yeah. I'm just an old goth at heart. And <laughs> I, just, I just love her so much. Yeah. A two hour film about her eye makeup, you know, would kind oh. of just, would just yeah, be enough. Why not? Um, what are what's some of the uh, more narrative and fictional stuff you've been working on? Well, um, my little beleaguered Smiths movie came yes. out uh, a few months ago um, that a whole bunch of fans seem to really love and a whole bunch of critics seem to fucking hate. <laughs> um, so it's a very divisive little film. You know, Morrissey, as we all know, was one thing in the 80s and is something very different now. Uh, which was a tragedy to witness uh, in slow motion as we were taking 10 years to make our film. Mm -hmm. uh, so, yeah, um, but, you know, enough people, Richard Blade among them, the legendary K-Rock DJ, um, have absolutely flipped for it. So I guess I'm happy that Richard yeah. Blade liked our movie. Um, but, yeah, that was a real passion project that was, I mean, that's the thing is like compared to that, all my other films are like a day at Disneyland now. You know, it was just, mm -hmm. it was like the worst every step of making that film from having the rights of the script stolen from me by an ex-friend to just like warring factions among the producers, hiring their own editor to recut it while we're cutting it, competing edits, you know, I mean, just every, and like just the length of time it took to get the music cleared and, even though ironically from jump Morrissey and Mark kind of gave us a very nice thumbs up. Um, it was manifold nightmares <laughs> piled onto each <laughs> other. Um, so yeah, I don't know. It's a very strange project. Um, I still don't know how I feel about it. Um, and I'm so, so thankful for the gods of documentary that I still have that place. Because mm -hmm. it just made me so appreciative of the creative family uh, that I have in nonfiction mm -hmm. uh, and that special sort of place that we inhabit. Because, um, yeah, independent narrative filmmaking is a freaking nightmare. Um, yeah. And, uh, but yeah, I'm jumping right back in it and we're doing a similar kind of thing, but we're collaborating with the B52s. Um, oh. It's just so much more good vibe and just positivity and it already feels like collaboration and family and just it feels so much better um so that's coming that's very exciting um we're just kind of in development on that that's a narrative that would be like a similar kind of thing to shoplifters it's a bit of like a priscilla queen of the desert goes athens ga mm -hmm. in the late 80s so um 
that's fun. Um, and aside from other narrative, that's that's really it. I mean, I am kind of trying to cook up a third one as like a little '80s trilogy, um, but I haven't quite found that third piece yet. Mm -hmm. Like, we'll figure it out at some point. Um, yeah. Yeah. Well, that's awesome. Um, are there any? Well, like those are the projects you're working on. Um, yeah. No, we're we've got a ton of stuff going on. Um, yeah. I'm executive producing a film about Rufus Wainwright at the oh. moment. Uh, that's very exciting. Um, uh, I'm in development on a feature doc about Rock Hudson, which is kind of a nice like non-mute like taking. It's basically after like the last real big doc project I did was called Equal, which is a four part doc series about LGBTQ rights, mm -hmm. kind of leading through that movements of the fifties, taking a detour into some great, um, you know, uh, turn of the century-ish stories about various pioneers of the, tr uh, in, you know, trans pioneers, um, civil rights, gay rights, and then Stonewall. Uh, and that was a fun project. Um, so now I'm kind of, there's a, a, a short stack of things that are really kind of at the intersection of either uh, LGBTQ stories, pop culture, music. Um, so rock, it's kind of centering on uh, rock and AIDS in the 80s and him being kind of the first most famous AIDS patient and the effect that had on uh you know, public policy, public perception, all that stuff. And then we wrap it around a big surreal exploration of the Hollywood closet, you know, by looking mm -hmm. at his films and, you know, from like Douglas Sirk to the Doris Day films and all the weird Westerns and other bizarre little things all tucked in between. Really fascinating projects. Um, and uh, we've got a gay serial killer doc series bubbling oh. on the back burner as well. That's uh, I can't really say too, too much about. Okay. Um, but yeah, I'm really, I'm looking to, again, I was saying it's like, I've done, I'm still doing a, a short stack of music things, but we're really trying to like broaden the palette. I'm dying to do a little grisly true crime. Something yes, please. Pushes, I, can't, I can't wait. Pushes the the genre a bit you know we're going to try to pull in a little kind of a lynchy vibe on this one it's really very much about like weird southern california 70s 80s um with a gay twist so it's like <laughs> it's like it's a serial killer that has not really gotten much yeah. attention um i think it's gonna be a big surprise and a very intense and interesting project okay i'm literally yeah. so excited for that so <laughs> I'm excited for anything, but specifically that. So um, I did have just a few kind of fun questions about um, Cinemania. Um, yes. Are you still in contact with any of them? No, no, no. <laughs> um, I think I've, I've had, it was so long ago. I got to say though, Harvey Schwartz ended up moving to Los Angeles. Mm -hmm. uh, I think he oh. lives with his brother. Um, out here uh, and just showed up one day. I was at a film at the New Art uh, in Santa Monica. We were, I can't remember which one it was. One of the one of the more recent ones we debuted there and um, the lights come up and I was like right in the like second row center <laughs> in his seat. Like, what the fuck is he doing? He's like, 
I see you. I'm here. Oh my God. Ladies and gentlemen, it's Harvey Schwartz from Cinemania. You know, and he gets up and he waves. No one knows who the hell he is. Um, but yeah, and he's 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 here. Um, and I do get phone calls from time to time. Um, but Roberta passed away. Um, yeah, she was older. We, we think Eric Chadbourne also is gone. Mm-hmm. Um, Bill, I have been told, has maybe actually ended up actually moving to paris what uh yeah and like it, it's so uncanny uh, he actually mm-hmm. ended up i think living out his you know cinemania <laughs> dreams that's actually awesome um, i really hope that's true i hope it's true and i can't remember who told me that if it was jack jack i can i still see him on social media from time mm-hmm. to time um who i believe has also sort of pulled has actually i think pulled back from the brink um, mm-hmm. and doesn't go to as many movies as he used to. Um, but Bill, I believe, uh, had made, made it made it all the way. Like, wow. became the star of his own, you know, Godard movie. Um, so yeah, but that was a very long time ago. And the world has changed so much. Yeah. I can't imagine what happened to them during COVID. I mean, it's it was already bad enough that all their favorite cinemas were shutting down. Yeah. And, things were just getting harder and harder. Um, and they were dying breed, you know, even when we caught them back in, you know, the turn of the millennium. So. Yeah. Well, some of them still exist at Scarecrow Tunics and obviously yeah. not at the theater <laughs> level, but similar yeah. types. Um, oh, my other I, question was, did yeah. Harvey ever figure out what film he remembered when he was a kid? He said there was a film from the fifties with a fridge with body parts we have tried and tried for years on end to figure out what <laughs> he was talking about i i can probably call him i don't know if i can get him on the phone right now um i probably shouldn't do that because he'll have no, for three yeah. hours um yeah exactly just to ask him like did you ever figure it out yeah i i don't know i i it's a that's a good question i wonder if we could continue the search maybe we'll ask you know now that it's you know we could put it on social media or something see if any film buffs be like do you remember this film from the what was it it was a refrigerator they open it up and there's there's, a suburb- dis- there's body parts and he said parts. head and are in like legs and arms i think yes maybe it's yes, just legs but, and arms from we, the 50s from the 50s maybe we can take that on at scarecrow and try to <laughs> figure it out i'm sure someone knows know, if man. it exists who knows if, if it exists. famous running times guy harvey schwartz can't figure it out i don't think i don't know if anyone could <laughs> um my last question on that was did you actually take any of their feedback on the film that they had during that last scene um because i thought that was pretty funny (laughs) no we just wanted to show it to them and film them watching it because we just thought it would be absolutely hilarious to put them in their own movie um and and just close the loop you know Mm -hmm. that was that was angela's idea she you know from inspired by uh chronicles of the summer right the jean rouge Mm-hmm. that was her that was her big idea she's like we've got to get them to watch it at the end it was fun. um yeah yeah i love that movie it still gets screened and we still get messages about it um i think just the other day some cinema in germany was doing a, a you know a little revival of it mm-hmm. um yeah it's crazy that little film like opened all not open all the doors but i mean it just it gave me a whole new way to 
think about making films, you mm-hmm. know, uh, which was super fun. So I, I always tell people it's just like path of least resistance, you know, I was like yeah. the door open. I'm like, I don't really want to do this, but I'm going to because I think uh, there's a story there and that's, you know, you have to, you have to listen to that stuff. Stevens Film Shoplifters of the World, Scott Walker, 30th Century Man, and Cinemania are available at Scarecrow Video. You can find his other films, including Stones in Exile and Backstreet Boys, Show Em What You're Made Of, on various streaming services. Now here's Matt to tell us about Blonde Death. Hey y'all, it's me Matt. I'm going to talk to you today about a really amazing movie called Blonde Death from 1984. It was directed by a guy named James Robert Baker, who also went by James Dillinger, and he was a performance artist and and writer. And it's a shot on video combination of like early John Waters and Terrence Malick. It's like the badlands of shot on video. It's amazing. And it it also climaxes with a tremendous shot on the on the sly uh, visit to Disneyland, like way before that Escape from, from Tomorrow movie did it. It's totally awesome. You gotta check it out. You can find Blonde Death in the juvenile delinquent section in the murder mystery suspense room at Scarecrow. Darcy and I want to thank you for listening and remind you that Scarecrow Video not only rents to the fine folks of Seattle, Washington, but we ship rentals all over the United States, from Haddonfield, Illinois, to Hill Valley, California. And with over 140,000 titles in the archive, renting by mail is just one of the many ways Scarecrow brings people and film together. That's it for today's show. Until next time, remember to be kind, rewind, and always return your discs and tapes on time. We'll see you on the next one.